We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 540 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm the Hilton and he's Pablo Wolves Blanco of BBC Cornwall, Nesca Um Podcast, and Barca Buzz. Welcome back to the show, Pablo. Thanks for having me back, Dan. Yeah, it was good to get the message. Um, obviously, a bit of a weird, difficult time, I think, for Barcelona, probably ending the year. A year that obviously has brought titles back to us, but hasn't ended in the best way. And now, obviously, loads of questions. Things are up in the air. It's uh, Yeah, the mood has changed. But yeah, again, Dan, thanks for having me on. Uh, always a pleasure. Yeah, the challenge today is to have this show somewhere around one hour because we have way too much to do to end out the year. I might have something, a little something from just myself here as a podcast next week, maybe. But if we get through all of it, then I'm going to have a nice little week off and we can enjoy that. So today, what we have on tap is actually not to talk about Ameria. That will come up a little bit. But if you want the Ameria breakdown, you can either go on Barca Buzz and find Pablo's review. And then the longer version of that is the five headlines I have on both this podcast feed and on the YouTube channel as well. So we, you and I both broke it down separately about Ameria. And I think we've had enough discussion about that. But we first have to talk about the Super League. And then we're doing listener questions. So that is how much is on tap today. It took me a minute and a half just to get through what we're actually going to do today. So we didn't get any questions on the Super League. But we got to start with that first, because here's the actual news. I'm going to say the news, and then all the other conjecture (laughs) can be thrown out there. Because the only actual news today is that the European Court of Justice ruled that UEFA and FIFA acted against competition law by blocking the formation of the European Super League back in 2021. And that UEFA or FIFA cannot sanction Barcelona or Real Madrid or any club for wanting to create or participate in a separate competition, the court declares. That is the only thing... That has happened. That is the only actual news. And of course, Pablo, as you know, that was enough news to kind of get everything going and going crazy about the meritocracy of competition, the meritocracy of football, what the, uh, we'll say the financial incentives are for every individual party. And of course, everyone gets to have their own conversation about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think already we're seeing all the clubs releasing statements again, right? And that's what I've seen today. They're all coming out, and to be honest, actually condemning it again, which I was maybe a little bit surprised by. I wondered whether this time around, especially after the new Champions League format we got presented with, I wondered whether there was going to be a little bit more support for the Super League. But actually, to be honest, there's actually been quite a few statements now right throughout, well, certainly English clubs, German clubs, French clubs especially as well, condemning it. 
uh, which surprised me a little bit, but that's the way things are going. So whether this will actually be able to form, I'm not sure. And it certainly does feel like it's Barcelona and Real Madrid, like against the world, right? The way I see the Super League is, right, you know, you've got, I, I find it quite hypocritical that you've got, and I'm not saying I'm the biggest Super League fan, but I do find it quite hypocritical when you've got certain clubs or certain nations, like t- take England, for example, where I'm from, right, yeah? The, the UK. The UK dominate the footballing pyramid right now, certainly financially. You've got teams who get relegated from England are able to spend much more than teams like Barcelona. For me, that is ridiculous. Like, I disagree with that. And that's why I actually quite agree with the potential formation of the Super League, because it would level the playing field a bit. And I'm, and I'm sure people look at the Super League and think it's just Barcelona or Real Madrid filling their pockets and getting back up to the heights of world football and dominating everyone else. But, you know, I disagree with coming 17th in the Premier League and being able to spend more than Barcelona. I think that's wrong. And I think that that's why, like, the, the way the football pyramid is at the moment, I think it's a little bit broken and the Super League could help level that up which is why I find it pretty ridiculous when I see people from the UK, for example, who are like trying to almost like stand above it and say like, oh, no, no, that would that's horrible for football. Like, how do you dare? And then the UK at the same time let the Saudi ownership walk straight into Newcastle with their eyes closed. They sanctioned Abramovich from Chelsea, claiming he had ties with Putin. I mean, the owner of Newcastle was pictured with Vladimir Putin about two weeks ago. Like, It's all very hypocritical. So they try and like stand really like, above everything on one on one hand and then on the other hand they just let everything pass so i i don't buy it honestly so i'm intrigued to see where this all goes i really am and like i said especially with the new champions league format it sort of makes both evils like similar if you like but i was a little bit shocked today dan i will say when i saw a lot of statements coming out from clubs condemning it yeah i mean i i think people know I, here in the united states and i try i don't get into my politics or my beliefs on on economic affairs too much. But I think people who've been listening to me for years know that I'm a freelancer living in the United States of America. And, you know, capitalism is part of, part of our adage here. So you don't have to tell me that as much as America likes to propagate that money and meritocracy are even and hand in hand, I fundamentally as an individual kind of disagree with that sentiment that meritocracy and money are not the same thing. So pretty much every argument that I see about We'll say the, the goodness, right? The goodness of football and how it is a, a great good in the world. And of course, yeah, that's, we're getting down to the core of why you watch, why you're a fan, why you care. But no matter where the money is going to, it's usually not going to the fans. Ticket prices continue to go up. And as far as the structure of the league that I saw, the Super League, and I, the one argument I keep hearing is about Girona, how Bayer Leverkusen and Girona and Leicester yeah. City, if they win their league, they would have to start at the bottom of the pyramid. They'd be three years away from the top. But because of the way that this Super League is even constructed, that's an easy fix where you say, hey, if and I mean, look at the the recent since 2001, the the winners of these domestic campaigns, there's a 95 to 98 percent chance that the winner of the domestic leagues are playing in one of the top two leagues anyway. So it it doesn't how many times it's going to matter. And if that is the case, if Girona is the exception, then you put something in there that if if a, if a club wins their domestic league the prior year, then the second coefficient club or whatever in the top division in the same domestic league then drops down, right? So Barcelona fans would have to live with the fact that even if they had qualified for the top level the year before, if Girona gets first in the league the next season and Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid finish above them, then Barcelona would drop down to that next level. And I think that's like an easy rule that would immediately change the we'll say the meritocracy of domestic campaigns and have that still matter and like the fact that you know my, my dumb galaxy brain can think of that just off off the cuff here talking to you I think the people in charge can figure that out too and I agree to you too about the Champions League thing it's 
for Barcelona and Real Madrid, of course, it makes total sense. They're saying, hey, we want that money instead of it going yeah. to UEFA. And it's just yep. a matter of where that money is going. And one of the reasons I'm still a Kool-Aid, one of the reasons I still coast this podcast, because Barcelona is still at least the majority is owned by the socios. Like that might have yeah. to change in the future if Barcelona are going to continue to compete economically, as you mentioned, with these nation state clubs. I mean, that's the nature of football. And I think, you know, where the difference is, obviously it's happened in the last even five to 10 years. Once money uh, of the, there came a time going, you know, I've done the numbers all the way back from the 60s and the first, we'll say Champions League or UEFA Cups or whatever, till now, about the last 15 years, the money has just become, we'll say untenable for everybody. And I think the big money in football has destroyed the meritocracy, the commercialism of football. You know, the, the money that Neymar brought in, as we know, like that is a watershed moment in football history that you don't come back from. And once that money is now being thrown around, now you're talking about 98% of clubs around the world cannot compete with one another in, in elite competitions, if you will. So I think football itself has a systemic issue that is, again, FIFA, UEFA, Barca and Real Madrid. It, it doesn't matter. Everybody has their own issues. And as a Kool-Aid, the only reason I'd say I'm quote-unquote pro Super League is because, yeah, if it keeps Barcelona getting elite players and playing elite competition, as long as something changes, as long as they continue to take place, because I do think the Catalan moves to the club and the, we'll say tied to the Spanish domestic league is so yeah. essential to their identity, I would just, I want to continue to see them play Alaves and Athletic Club. And, you know, I don't, don't lose your history. Don't lose who you are. But yeah, whatever it takes to play elite competition... I don't care if it's 14 games. I mean, it looks like the players and the teams are still going to be playing way too much, either the new Champions yeah. League format or the Super League format. It's too many games. So it's just like, not to say two wrongs don't make a right, but nobody's right here. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's, that's a big thing. And I think I read today that UEFA are actually thinking, hang on a minute, should we actually just revert back to the format we're using this season to try and like to try and quell the, the Super League pushes? Because when you look at the two, like, I think what, what's happening now in the Champions League, if I'm right in saying, it means that if your nation has the most coefficient points, you get an extra spot in the Champions League, right? Like, the way I see it, UEFA are going to create their competition, their Champions League, and it's going to be really similar in about 10 years' time, if it, if it still goes ahead by then, to what the Super League proposed. I don't think it's going to be very different at all. I really don't, because they're going to want faltering teams, for example, in England, like Chelsea and Manchester United, who have the money but aren't going to make top four, they want them in the competition anyway, just for the money, for financial reasons. So I feel that they're going to make their competition, as they sort of are trying now with these coefficient rankings, right, to get these teams in anyway. So that's why I don't see the biggest issue with the Super League. I just think certain clubs are scared of, certainly in England, of losing all of the money and giving it back to like the two biggest clubs in world football in Barcelona and Real Madrid. Yep, 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 yep. I'm glad that you and I were both on the same page of not saying, <laughs> yeah, of course, look at my, look at my Super League t-shirt. This is actually the Barcelona podcast t-shirt merch store again. You won't get that for the holidays, but you get the point. All right, let's jump into listener questions now. The first one is from Patreon Peter. Remember, if you're one of the Patreons, send me your listener questions at any point. I will put them on the show. I'll answer them the very next week or the next show that I do that you put those questions in. So we got one from Patreon Peter here. Finishing ability. How trainable is this attribute? How does poor finishing happen time and time again without proper, properly being addressed? I think it's difficult to say it's trainable, actually. Look, I mean, I think for younger players, it can be. You look at like a Vitor Roque coming to the club, and I'm sure he'll turn into a much more accomplished finisher over his career. I mean, you even look at Leo Messi. I think Messi actually, towards the end of the 2010s, I, in my opinion, 
turned into a, be- a better finisher in a way. The way he was under like Valverde at the end was very clinical. But I'm guessing this is sort of aimed at the likes of Robert Lewandowski. And look, Robert Lewandowski is someone who's already been an elite finisher and is now dropping off. For me, I see this more as like a, a form and a confidence thing. I always think confidence is massive in football. It's a bit of a cliche, but I really believe that I do. I think when you come in like a good moment, like Lewandowski was at the start of last season, he was firing. So in terms of like, how can we address that? Like, I mean, sure, I'm sure there are certain drills that the coaching staff can put in place that can really improve you as a striker. And I'm hoping they do that sort of stuff with Vitor Roque and really refine him as a, fo- as a footballer. And I've got no doubt about that, that under some coaches, I've seen strikers become better and more calm in front of goal and different techniques and, and, and styles of shooting the ball. But I think in terms of when you're looking at Barcelona at the moment, like Rafinha, uh, João Felix, Ferran Torres, Lewandowski, these sorts of players, I'm struggling to sit here and say, like, in a month's time after all this training, they're just going to click again. I think it will more be if they all have a good game and, and they start scoring again in matches, the confidence will increase and therefore in front of goal that things will start going for us. I, th- I feel that's the way I feel football is. I don't feel whilst many attributes in your game are something that you can just work on and get better at. I think finishing is is a really interesting, like it's a different beast in a way because I think it relies so much on confidence in the moment that you're in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, the example I have for this is Alvaro Morata, who's having a yeah. season at Atletico Madrid. And this would be the very example of that. Is, has he gotten better and worse and then better again and worse again and better again and worse again? And Fernando Torres is actually a similar one too, where it's like yep. the ebbs and flows of, of, of strikers in their careers. And that is why Robert Lewandowski is one of the greatest strikers of all time. Luis Suarez, one of the greatest strikers of all time. And I think, especially from a Kool-Aid perspective, Barcelona have had some of the best number nine in those generations. Samuel Eto'o the same way, even Ibrahimovic for that moment. And of course, yes, Messi is one of the greatest finishers of all time as, as well. Uh, even if they don't call him a necessarily an out-and-out goal scorer, he is still yeah. the greatest finishers of all time. And I also look at the quality of shots too when we're kind of judging this against Barcelona at the moment because from just yesterday's game, Roberto's header miss, yeah, to your point, if this team is playing with confidence, and I mentioned a lot in the five headlines yesterday about the tightness 
you feel that pressure that exists in the club. And yeah. without that pressure, I think let's say Roberto, let's say Roberto's header miss, which was the first miss of the game. Let's say that happens in the 90th minute. I think he scores that because he already scored the two before that. I think he puts that in. And then Lewandowski's failed cross into Ferran Torres. I think the same thing. It's just it's a confidence issue. It's like a timing issue. There's something off about this team. There's there's something that's not working right now. And then Gundawan's header missed the same thing. The way he tried to kind of just flick it in instead of just throwing his body at the ball. Because that's really what I mean. If he had scored that, the way the ball was moving, he would probably had to score it almost with his cheek, right? He would have had to kind of throw his his head at the ball at the ball to kind of put it in there, his ear, whatever it was to get it in there. But it, it winds up just not going off because he's. He, I think he was even trying to make sure he got it right. Just make sure he tried to put force on it. Just not understanding where he was in front of goal. So all those those easy misses, we'll say, the the sitters that Barcelona keeps missing and all these quality chances and quality shots, to your point, I think it all comes down to, to confidence, as you mentioned, that, yeah, if you're on your game and you feel like anything can happen, it's just, I always use basketball as an example, but it is. Like, if you've ever shot, the, the better you're shooting, bigger that basket becomes. So it just, it looks huge. It looks so wide. And if you yeah. missed three, four, five, six times in a row, it looks like a tiny little, that little, um, what are those, those little Dixie cups, you know, that you get the bowling alley here in the United States anyway. But yeah, it just looks like a tiny little, you know, you can't find it from 100 yards away. And I think that's the big difference here. All right, next question. Jorge, Xavi in or out? Are his methods just too pedestrian? Instead of the in or out one, I think let's answer. Are his methods just too pedestrian? Seems like he bit off more than he could chew. And then Tomas also added, if not Xavi, who would you guys think could steady the ship? I mean, for me, for me, Xavi, and I'll just briefly say that, I understand criticism towards Xavi, I will say that, because I think Barcelona are still a team who struggle to turn up and deal with really big moments. By that I mean, say Barcelona get through the round of 16 against Napoli, and then they're drawn against Bayern, who thinks Barcelona will go through? I'd say probably about 5% of the fan base. And I think with the team we've got now, that isn't acceptable. I think we should be able to turn up to a big game and maybe we go 1-0 down to Bayern or 2-0 down. But then do we still come back? Probably not. And I think that's the issue. We haven't been able to transform ourselves into one of those teams who's dominant, you know. And obviously that's what we want at the moment. Sure, Xavi's returned the competitive feel to Barcelona. For me, he's returned the feeling of being a Barcelona fan, actually. And I give him massive credit for that. I really do. The winning of La Liga, the Supercopa, the way he's built this team getting big players back to the club. I think the football's improved as well. But you look this season, we've just dropped off in every category, I think, Dan. And I think that that's worrying. I think you look this season compared to last season in La Liga, defensively, obviously personnel missing, but chance creation, individual players. It seems like it's all going downhill. And when you've got like a young team that we have, you sort of expected to build a bit and we develop each season. But it felt like maybe we peaked last year and we haven't been able to to regain that that level again and of course you hear Xavi speaking after yesterday's game I mean he's not happy you know and I don't think many people are happy about Barcelona right now certainly the fans aren't hence this comment coming in or question coming in so look for me I'd, I'd give him definitely to the end of the season at least I actually think he's the guy who sort of built this project so I think he deserves to to keep going with it for sure and I think he's done an awful amount of good for the club as a coach maybe more than I actually expected when he signed in November 2021 was it but I, I completely understand criticism I do, because like I said, I think we're struggling to turn into one of those elite teams. You know, are we going to win La Liga? Looking very unlikely. The Supercopa, we'll have to wait and see. We're going to have a lot of players missing for that. But then we've just got the Copa del Rey, really, because no one really backs us in the Champions League. So you, you see, already that's not looking great, is it? When you consider the way we're playing, you know, we barely win by more than one goal anymore. It's difficult. In terms of who could come in, uh, and that's another problem when I look at whether we should get rid of Xavi or not. And I think there's no one really for me here. I'd say, oh, if he comes in, you know, we instantly improve. Luis Enrique, maybe, maybe. 
But again, I don't think he's going to leave PSG. Pep Guardiola is the only other one not leaving Manchester City. Just no way. And then the other one where you sort of go down a slightly different route, but again, I don't know if it would work at Barcelona is going for like a German coach. I know they're obviously links to like Nagelsmann, Flick. The guy I like is Thomas Tuchel. I think he's a great coach. But even then, I think Barcelona coach is very different to just being a good coach elsewhere. I really do think that. And I say the same thing for like someone like Jurgen Klopp. But all the managers I mentioned there aren't really attainable other than that Hansi Flick, who I don't think Barcelona should be going for. So for me, that's another thing that comes into it. I don't see a replacement for Xavi like in the next year or two. I really don't. Yeah, as far as Xavi's job and and him having any stability and security from the board, of course, I think obviously being a club legend the way he is, and it's a little different than even the Kuman thing. Because to your point, I really like the way you said that, that it does feel even through the struggles, and I think the frustration with Xavi is so great because there is some kind of feeling of, of a Barcelona fan again to that point. And, and again, it's no disservice to the legend that, that, that Kuman was, but I mean, that also that team the squad of that team and losing Messi, there was something traumatic about that, that whole experience. Yeah, and then yeah. PK set the end. And I think there is something about Xavi kind of giving that back and everybody wanting him to succeed. I mean, truly wanting him to succeed uh, and watching him not succeed. has been really frustrating. And I don't know. I also kind of overthink the idea of the locker room and what kind of would need to happen there. What continuity, right? And I've been saying now for a while that, I mean, Gabi and Pedri and Araujo, they're still young players kind of coming into their own. And I, we have questions about Araujo coming up here, but it, it, to me, it's odd because yeah, the, 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 we'll say the older generation is not the older La Masia products. And it's almost been for the first time. I'm, I'm really thinking about the club and almost basically since the last time we'll say Barcelona was like not competing for trophies was what Xavi's first few seasons. And now it's the last time with the, the De Boers and, and Riesiger and, and Kluivert that was kind of the last time when I felt like the club at, and Koku, I should mention too, who was the captain at the time. That was kind of the last time when the, the older statesmen at the club were kind of brought in and were kind of those other pieces. Because even dating back to the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, I know the academy and Lamassi was on the same thing, but the club has always had some of their more experienced players be homegrown talent and kind of kind of live the, the ethos, if you will. And so 20 years ago when Barcelona were struggling, finishing fourth and, and, and whatever, that was the last time when the older players were Lewandowski or Gundogan or we'll say not, we'll say homegrown talent. Because even at this yeah. point, Ter Stegen joined at 22, was he, or ish? You know, he was young. I think he was 22. And he's yeah. become, we'll say, a Catalan son, if you will. Uh, and then again, Araujo is still young as a player. And Pedri is still very young and also injured all the time. And Gabi is still very young. And even the young players coming in, Lamine Mall, and we have questions about other young guys you want to see. The, the players that are filling out from the academy right now are 17 years old. They're 16. They're 17. They're, they're really, really, really young. So I almost want to say, like, kind of pump the brakes that this team and how it's constructed, as weird as it sounds, because Lewandowski is like an all-time striker, an all-time legend of the game. And I will not use, I'm putting quotes around legend for, you know, who he is at Barcelona, but I don't put le quotes around legend of the game. Lewandowski is one of the best players of the 21st century. But the best version of Barcelona under Xavi even probably doesn't involve Lewandowski. And I'm not saying now today, I'm saying that if Barcelona are the dominant team, you're saying where you go into a season and say, Hey, I think Barcelona, are one of the favorites of the champions league, because I want to remind each other about the champions league, how fluky that stuff is, that all it takes is three good months. And now you're Chelsea in 2021, I think, right. That was that year. And you're just like, were they the seventh or eighth best team in Europe? Yeah, probably. And they wound up winning the champions league. And so 
that guy, I always want to say with the Champions League, it's so fluky. You never know. But in the case of the Liga this season, this Barcelona has not been good enough to that point. But again, it's a weird thing. Even Vita Roque coming in at 19 years old. So this version of Barcelona with Pedri and Gabi uh, and, and whoever the defensive midfielder is of the future, and then Araujo behind them, and they're making all this stuff happen at a high level. And Vita Roque is a superstar Brazilian scoring those goals. How old are they? What year is this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and how much faith have we given Xavi over that timeline? Because it's a weird thing, right? Is the timeline for Lewandowski in this team, does that coalesce with how much stability and time Xavi is going to be given? Or is he going to be kicked out in two years for who? Michelle Garcia Pimienta, some other in vogue name at the time. Because even Girona, if they win the Liga this season, the only way they can go is down. And then the criticism for Michelle will start next season if they wind up not repeating. I mean, that's just how this works. So another question from Finmac here as we kind of finish up this topic. What are the challenges of instructing elite players when they're making individual mistakes when it seems like they already know what they're struggling with? And I think, again, this one also kind of directed Lewandowski a bit. Yeah, yeah, it feels like very centered towards Lewandowski. And I think at the moment, up until now, actually, I think Xavi was sort of going for like the leave alone approach where he sort of leaves the likes of Lewandowski or Gundogan to play poorly, maybe to go through a few games where they're just cruising and he sort of leaves them because he backs them to recover their level. And I like that approach to an extent. I kind of like that approach with like Messi because I think he's one of those players you leave alone. But I actually think with someone like Lewandowski at the moment, I don't think it's worth that putting him above the team. And I think maybe Xavi can be found guilty of doing that. Where, like, I think we come on to it with a later question as, as well, down in terms of like meritocracy. Someone like Lewandowski, if he's playing poorly, if he's not doing something that you want him to be doing as a striker, Xavi, then you best go and tell him. Because if it was Mark Wee doing that, or if it was Ferran Torres doing that, you would tell him. So I think you've got, you, there, there comes a point where I think no matter who the player is, you're the coach. If you see there's not doing something you like, or you think they can improve, tell them. And the chances are, They'll do it and we'll be better off for it. I don't think it's worse just because like Gundogan's won the Champions League and like, oh, like, let's respect this guy. Like, well, no, if he's not playing well in midfield, tell him what he needs to change at. And I think there have been games where he hasn't been playing well in midfield. He has been good, but like there have been times when he hasn't. And Lewandowski certainly this season hasn't been playing very well in, in attack. Certainly, apart from just nicking goals every now and then, his actual overall play, surely a bit of chat from Xavi. And maybe he's doing that behind the scenes. You know, we don't have the cameras in the training ground or whatnot, but... I wonder how much he actually does it. And I think last night we heard the reports that for maybe the first time since Xavi's been Barcelona coach, he put his foot down. And I hope that maybe that continues and just makes a few players think, ooh, okay, like he's not happy. Like He's right. We've got to fix up now. So I think it's worth it. I really do. Yeah, we have a bunch of questions that are kind of all spinning off that. So let's hit some of those now. Vilmos asked, yeah. according to post-match interview that you mentioned and I talked about in the five headlines as well, does it sound like Xavi lost part or all of the dressing room? I say, I say no. I, I don't. I just mm. from the post game stuff, it doesn't sound like it. It just it sounds like they are all feeling the pressure and all suffering together. And it does seem like I don't know if it's just like social media becoming ever more toxic the way it is, but it does feel like you're hearing a lot more pushback from Xavi and the players about the toxic Torno than you normally do. Like other coaches will mention it. Like, I mean, Pep Guardiola, it, it, he was there at the club for less than four years because he, he would complain about it all the time. And Johan Cruyff mentioned it too. So I, that's, I almost take that back immediately that, you know, Cruyff was one of the biggest advocates of the toxic contorno that exists in, you know, again, you go Catalan media and then you go Spanish media and yeah. then you go to the global media now. And I think that even a, a guy like Gundogan, I think he's almost been taken aback by just how toxic that local yeah. media can be. And then again, to how toxic the Spanish media can be 
because he was so used to, we'll say, the global media, which, as you and I both know, is kind of run by, we'll say, the English-speaking world. So the English-speaking criticism that he would receive for Champions League stuff and for Man City, now, again, you, you put that on top of living every day with the Spanish media and the Catalan media. And I think he and even Lewandowski, I think, are almost surprised by that. And, I mean, if one guy has their back in this, it is Xavi. So I do not think he has lost the locker room. But I do think that this team is playing with a amount of pressure that they don't know. And I think a challenge for Gundogan and Lewandowski and those older, we'll say, recruits, they don't know how to kind of silence the Catalan media. They don't, they don't, they just, they feel it. You see the pressure. And I think even with the fans not fully showing up to the stadium tomorrow's week, I mean, even that, like seeing empty seats and then getting booze. And this is Barcelona. And I think there's like this, this dissonance in your brain as to, to who you are. You were supposed to be celebrated. You were supposed yeah. to come in and be king. And yet, not only are you not being crowned king of Catalonia, but you're almost getting booed out of the out of the stadium. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it does surprise a lot of people, and and it can be quite toxic. I think from the press, and it it, it runs through to the fan base. I mean, I looked at the comments in under the post at halftime, and all the comments were about selling at Alho. You know, the week before he was the best centre back in Europe, like. That's the way it works in Barcelona. It's just, it's one extreme to the other every single week. Nothing is stable. And I think Xavi said that in his press conference before Valencia. This club needs stability. And I agree. And I think the way to do it, if I was a player, Dan, honestly, I wouldn't read the press. I don't understand. I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't, I would just, I would just uninstall Twitter, I think. And then for stuff like Mundo Deportivo or Sport, I wouldn't read it. You know, I think it's easy enough not to read it. You've got plenty going on in your life. And I would leave it because it's like after games like this, you just get everything. Everything's going wrong. He's doing that. He's saying that. What's happening with him? Should Lewandowski this? Should Lewandowski that? It's just chaos. And then when we win, it's like, oh my god, like the leadership of Lewandowski, Gundogan, what an addition to the team. Like, it's all incredibly extreme. And I think it does surprise people. I agree with you. I don't think Xavi's lost the dressing room. I think we've had players come out recently saying they're all behind Xavi. I just think it was a it was a move Xavi needed to make. I think he's been very very kind to a lot of the Barcelona players up to this date. And I think that's good. I think that there's definitely something for saying that. In football, be kind to your players. I'm not. I'm not a fan of the whole shouting. Like in England, we get that a lot from that young young level. It's just like hammer the players and hope they respond. I don't buy that. I think it's nice to have a good group, a positive group, like a happy group. I think that's really important. But it comes a time when, like, your coach of Barcelona, if you're playing like that, like Xavi said, he should say what he said in saying that the first half was like embarrassing. That I can't let it happen again. That players need to step up. And if he was scolding certain players, like you have to go for that sometimes. Not every week. I don't like that at all. But sometimes you need to put your, your fist down. And, and, and I think and I think he did there. And I think he was necessary in doing so. So I don't think he's lost the dressing room. I just hope now everyone's got two weeks off after the trip to America, obviously. And then um, and then we can come back for 2024 refreshed. Yeah, Vishrut, very similar question. If Xavi promises that the system is a meritocracy, then why does Jao Felix, have, who has scored some goals, but he only scored three, gets benched, but Lewandowski doesn't? Yeah. I mean, that is a problem. And I think and I think that that sort of links to the point like I was making about the fact that I feel like Xavi won't like touch Lewandowski in a way. He wouldn't criticize him. I don't think Xavi does have like a meritocracy in, in, in that regard. Like, I, I don't think you can say that, you know, his system is that because I don't think it's true. There are certain players who are just above others and it's that simple. You know, Lewandowski with the way he's been playing, you know, doesn't necessarily deserve to be starting striker. You can't say that. And if someone like Ferran Torres or trying Jao Felix out there, you know, you cannot say that. So that's why. When you're Robert Lewandowski at Barcelona on the Xavi, you're going to be getting played no matter what. And I think it's similar for not many other players, but probably a few that's like no matter how you play, 
you're going to be starting. And that's unfortunate. I, I do think that's unfortunate. But it's clear that Xavi is a coach that isn't prepared to bench someone like Lewandowski or take him out of the, the firing line. You know, it's just that's just the way it's been since Lewandowski signed, in my opinion. And I think it will continue to be that way. I mean, I hear people say that when Vitor Roque comes in, they say, like, finally, like, Vitor Roque, like, here we go, like, going to be starting. And I'm like, you are, you guys are in for a shock when Vitor Roque is not going to be starting many games for Barcelona because in his place is number nine, Lewandowski. Look, I don't know whether Roque starts off the left and then maybe they go to like a two up front. That could happen. But even then, you're sort of like playing him out of his position, which is that is that ideal for his development. All sorts of questions come into play. So, yeah, I agree. And unfortunately, I don't think Xavi's the only manager who's guilty of this, by the way. I think you look right around Europe. Best managers in the world, they just have their favourites. They do. Or they have, they have things in place that us fans know what's going to happen. It's almost like, I'm sure all the Bath fans listening or watching, you, Dan, as well, like, we know like, what subs Xavi's going to make. We know like, who he's going to bring on for who. Like, it's obvious. And it's like, sometimes it's not fair. Like, in that first half, for example, at half-time against Almeria, look, I do think Rafinha played better than João Felix. I do. But it's like, if João Felix had tapped in the board that Rafinha had done, I think it would have been Rafinha off for Ferran at half-time. Mm. It's like stuff like that. So like f- football's like that is really like that. And unfortunately... Xavi isn't perfect with it either. And I don't think he ever will be. Yeah, I've been saying it for weeks now, and I'll continue to say it for weeks about Vitor Roque, that he's just played a full Brazilian season. And if anybody thinks that he's going to come in and immediately hit the ground running, just temper your expectations a little bit. And the other thing I'll say is, if he does, if for some act of, uh, of goodness, because I, I have said about Vitor Roque, like his movement and the way he presses, and yeah. we do press him about the press. I know we're, we're kind of overlapping with everything here, but... With the way that Vita Roque presses and just having a young striker like that, I think there is this world, a really simple world, where he does fit Xavi's system and fits alongside these other players really, really well. And I can almost promise you that if he does hit the ground running like that, let's say he scores three goals in his first four games off the bench, right? And he plays like 20 minutes and to your point, coming off the left or whatever, or he comes in for 10 minutes for Lewandowski and he's puts in three goals in 67 minutes of, of playing time over three games or whatever. I would say that Lewandowski, <laughs> this is conspiracy Dan putting his hat on again. There is some kind of injury that I think that Lewandowski might contract if Le- if Vita Roque were to start three games in a row. Does that make sense? Like if Lewandowski is fit and ready to go, he starts. But I could see that we know that he's had his back injury for the last two years. I could see that if Vita Roque really hits the ground running, then Lewandowski kind of oh, he's dealing with a back thing and he can only come off bench and he's not totally fit or whatever, if that makes any sense. So I just feel like that is going to be handled. You have, again, a 36-year-old, one of the best strikers in the 21st century, and you have a 19-year-old coming from Brazil, not knowing the language, jumping right into training in January without a preseason. It all works out for Lewandowski to start those games. And if that doesn't happen, yes, something has happened behind the scenes. Now, let's talk about Felix and uh, Ferran. Because Tom and, and Embron have some questions here. Does Ferran deserve starting ahead of Felix on the left wing? And then Embron uh, asked a question that I've answered a bunch, so I'd like you to weigh in here. Would you want Barca to keep Felix? If your answer is no because of the rumored $80 million, would your answer change if we could get him for 30 to $40 million? I think to answer the first question, there's definitely an argument to say that Fed Antonio is when we come back in January against Las Palmas, is it? that he should be starting on left wing. I, I I do agree with that. I think you can even see it when he came on at halftime yesterday. Like He's active, Ferran. I think we need to get Ferran a little bit more involved, actually, because I do think he stepped up this season. I know he said he would, and he's gone and he's, you know, 
He's really turned. He's really turned the chapter almost with his career. And I feel like he actually does add something different to this Barcelona team. When we're talking about meritocracy, Ferran should be there. João Felix, I feel so so odd about Dan. I really do because like I was never really his biggest fan. Sort of proved me wrong a little bit when he came to Barcelona. He's definitely got something about him that I feel like he can be a player to grab the whole of a game and take it. But I also feel like I thought throughout Jao Felix's career, there are too many moments where he just goes missing. And he's just like a player who you know is going to get the ball on the left and not really progress it and then just pass back to the midfielder or the fullback. And it's like, are you like an 80 million player? To answer your question about like, would I sign him like regardless? Look, for 30 million, I'd sign him. I'm going to say that for 30 million, I'd sign Jao Felix because I think he can be a player to fit in this Barcelona squad. But there's another part of me in my head that thinks, right, Barcelona need profiles. They need profiles for each position, and that includes the winger positions. Is Jao Felix the profile that Barcelona need in a left winger? Probably not, in my opinion. I think we were actually missing natural wingers this season, especially with the loss of Dembélé. I really feel that. And I think that's been a big reason to why we're sort of filtering a bit in our attacking play and chance creation. So oh, only- I'm really conflicted, and that's a bit of a messy answer on Felix, but it, he he, I, he splits opinion so much that he even does in my own mind. So. Yeah, I mean, Cancelo's the only guy who can go by anybody this season in 1v1 situations. Yeah. And that is a huge issue about how Barca play, especially, again, as you mentioned on that left wing and why people mention not even aggression of Alex Balde, but just, yeah, an inability to create stuff down the left wing the way they did last year with those numerical overloads. I also think the last few seasons, Messi on the right wing was a huge part of that. And it's just for for the first time in 12 years after the last two, few seasons that Barcelona has a team that is unbalanced from wing to wing. Because again, the, the, the attraction of attention that, that Messi had for all those seasons. And I've said it before, and Domagoy, you know, Domagoy said to, to go for Jao Felix. And yeah, to your point, 80 million means you have to be good for the season. And throughout his career, I try to think of what was Jao Felix's most consistent run of form for how, how good was he and for how long he was good at for three months at a time or four months at a time or good for three games. And as you said, missing for two. And that has been the story of his career. And with the market around football now, a 30 million player, that's what that is. A 30 million player is not somebody that's consistent for a whole season. That's a player that comes in and comes out. And that's just the price of doing business for forwards nowadays. Um, and, you know, I, I think with Barcelona's financial issues as well, I, I almost lean to say no. I, I know Kinsella has his bigger issues, we'll say. With, we saw the mistakes he made yesterday. But I think that even with Julian Araujo, even with Hector Fort. I think with Alonso leaving the club and the left back market, I think there's Alex Valle as well. But I don't. I'd rather have the profile of Cancelo yeah. and and have we'll say because I mean Hector Ford is still 17, so I would rather have we'll say four and a half. Saying Hector Ford is a half next season, I'd rather have four and a half fullbacks next season. You know, adding Julian Araujo back in and Alex Valle and, and selling Marcus Alonso, so adding Valde to that as well. I'd rather mm-hmm. have four and a half fullbacks next year than kind of having that be a concern. And let's say Julian Araujo does not replicate the form he's had at Las Palmas when he returns to Barcelona next season. And I think it'd be stupid for the club to sell him, by the way, as well, from what I've seen. So I'd rather go with Cancelo if I'm having to pick between the two for 30 to 40 million. And, you know, looking at Barcelona's finances and the money that hasn't come in from the Libero deal or all those different things that money is not coming in from, I would be concerned with paying 30 or 40 million for, to me, Angel Felix feels like a player that you kind of have to, We'll say find out something else from, and I think Xavi will look. I, actually, I want to move to the press question now because I kind of answered the same question here with this. Do mm. not teams pressing has historically been bad? If so, what do we lack? And currently, how bad is it? 
when how can it be fixed and how does it hinder us from attaining European glory, especially now since we're not as technical on the touchpad. But the point is, what's the problem with the press here? And I agree with Dune. I've been trying to figure this out all season long, why that press was so bad. Because I think a staple of Barcelona and any great side now, look at Bayer Leverkusen under Alonso if you watch it, that their press is so formulaic and so on point together, everybody works together. And that has not been the case for Barcelona this season. And I think Robert Lewandowski's work rate, that is a problem. That is a problem to me. Jao Felix, his work rate is also a problem. It looks like he's working hard at times, but it's inconsistent throughout a game. There are ebbs and flows to it. And if you really want to press, that's why the idea of, I want to see it just once. Ferran Torres, Vitor Roque, whether one's on the left and one's in the middle, either way, switch them around. And then Rafinha on the right. I want to see that front three at some point this season and see what that looks like in a press. But without, mm. you also can't see the full picture either. Uh, I think the lack of an actual defensive midfielder is part of the problem as well. Because even though Busquets was slow, Busquets, you notice under Kuman and Xavi, he would be at the point of that press the last two seasons. And I think a yeah. lot of people would say, why is, is Sergio Busquets the farthest player forward? But it's almost going back to why we, uh, Ricky Puj never fit at Barcelona. Because he was one of the worst players in rest defense that I'd seen in Catalonia in a long time. And for the LA Galaxy, he doesn't have to do that at all. They don't do that <laughs> at all. So he just kind of just, he's the one player that is protected in that system. And at Barcelona, he was never going to be protected in that way, the way he is for the Galaxy. So Barcelona, their rest, their rest defense has just been so poor this season in a way that it wasn't. And Xavi even mentioned that in his press conference where he said about and talked about the talent. And he said, intensity is necessary for this Barcelona because they do not have the top level talent. I know that sounds crazy when you look at the names on the roster, but it seems like unlike 2010, they don't have... We'll even say the technical mentality. I know that's a weird term, but they don't have the technical mentality to play kind of with one brain on the press. And so you just need a lot of hard work and effort. And that's why Xavi is, I mean, uh, Gabi rather, is praised the way he is. So to that press, I think it, A, is a personnel thing. Because again, what, what Lewandowski does give you in the fact that he can just kind of score goals at whim. And he still can do that. I know he hasn't been, but that is Robert Lewandowski. He just scores goals out of nothing. But the team is not a cohesive unit at the moment. And I don't know. They did have a full preseason together. So that is a consideration. And I'm worried that it just does come down to personnel, including, as we mentioned, an actual defensive midfielder who isn't even just a ball winner, who is somebody that understands how to press at the highest, highest level. And so and even when I look around world football, I don't know who that player is. And I don't know who can even solve Barcelona's problems that way. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I think we, even under Valverde, I always thought about the press from Barcelona, right? And it was becoming a big issue then. And I think the, we had Messi and Suarez up front and they didn't press. Mm-hmm. But they, they gave us an awful lot back with goals, an awful lot back, especially Messi, obviously. But even then, it was a problem, by the way. Even when they were scoring, you know, 50 goals each a season, we were saying, in Europe, these guys aren't pressing. And that's a big problem. Even then, never mind now, we've got players like Lewandowski and Felix who aren't pressing effectively. And they're not scoring nowhere near enough. I mean, I think you're right about Jao Felix. Sometimes he looks active, but you can do what I like to call like a lazy press where you sort of just like run in a direction, ball passes you. You know, I've done my press and it's like, that's not, that's not like pressing. Like you've, you've helped nothing there in a way. And Lewandowski, I think, just doesn't press much at all. You're right. I think Rafinha, Ferran, Vitor Roque would be a really, really energetic front three because we definitely see Rafinha works a lot off the ball and he's got that in his locker for sure. 
The midfield is a big issue. Midfield has been, I think, maybe our biggest issue all season. Of course, the injuries, now I've got Gavi out, I just think is a horrific miss, to be honest. De Jong's just been constantly injured. Pedri is just constantly injured now as well. And it's just, it's so frustrating. And then obviously we've tried to replace Paul Skets with Oriol Romeo, which hasn't worked at all. You know, that's just a different calibre of player and it's been that simple. And I'd love for Romeo to regain some of the form that he showed at Girona or even in pre-season for Barcelona uh, in 2024. But whether that could be unlikely, I'd love to see us go out and get someone at Zulbi Mendy, who another club have been going after for ages. I think he would change everything for us. I think you, talk, you speak about some Felix money, right? That's where I think a lot of my money would go. And I agree with you, I'd go for Cancelo over Felix as well if I had to pick between those two. But you get like Cancelo and Zubi Mendy, and I think that would be fantastic in the summer. So there's many there's many issues and reasons to why Barcelona's press has faltered. And I think one of the reasons we were so good last season is, in my opinion, we recovered a lot of it. I think we had a system and it worked quite well. I think off the ball, we fought. And Xavi said it last night, this team isn't good enough not to be fighting. And he's right. He's right. That's what made us really good last season. We weren't necessarily vintage 2010 Barcelona last season, but we definitely played well. We definitely dominated most matches. And we were also really resilient. That team worked really hard last season. The system was really good. We were really effective. You make the point about the way Busquets pressed. And of course, losing a player of Busquets is massive. But it just seems like so many of our like fundamentals and what made us really good last season have dropped off. And Xavi said that last night. And I think he's spot on. So... I'm sat here just hoping they come back in 2024 because we've got to keep working. I mean, defensively as well. Again, we were so solid last season. It's like personnel hasn't even changed that much. So I think it's a collective thing. I really do that. It's like the whole team back to front, personnel, different attitudes from players, players regressing maybe in ability. It's, it's all sort of added up to make not the best concoction. Yep. Uh, Eric asks, what do you make of Inaki Pena? Could he be a number one goalie in the future or do we need to look in another direction down the road? I had my question marks about Inaki Pena. I sort of always had, and I'm not going to lie, when Tostegan got injured, I thought, oh dear. A big reason for it was I thought he wasn't very commanding in the air and we sort of saw last night that sort of came in a bit. I think that probably was at Alho's fault, by the way, you've got to leave that for the keeper. But still, that was a big worry of mine. Also, I think Tostegan gives us such a security in one-on-ones. Obviously, Inaki Pena isn't as good as goalkeeper as Tostegan, but he has surprised me. He has surprised me. He's made a few big saves against Atleti, for sure. Certainly, again, last night, to be fair, when it could have been 3 all with about four minutes to go, it was a fantastic save off of the set piece against Almeria. So he's actually surprised me a little bit. If you were to tell me now, Tostegan's done at Barcelona, is Iñaki Peña your number one? For me, I wouldn't be comfortable saying he is. I would go out and get a new goalkeeper if it was if it was Iñaki Peña or like someone else. For me, it would, it would be someone else. I don't see Iñaki Peña as at the air to Stegen, if that's what the question is asking. I, I, I just don't. But I will say that he surprised me a little bit. And he's almost, for me, like a little like, not a mini Stegen, but sort of just like a slightly a B-tech Stegen. Uh, seems a bit harsh, but his technique is very similar with, the, with his feet as well. His saving style I find quite similar as well. But I just don't think he's at the level of like an elite goalkeeper for Barcelona. But to be fair to him, like I said, he's made some big saves in recent weeks and he surprised me. Yeah, I agree. I think his one skill is, I mean, an essential skill for a goalkeeper. I think he will be a number one somewhere because his shot stopping is really, really good. He's mm. got really impressive reflexes and he's always been good at, at making just very difficult saves. But to me, the drop-off, even with that, to talk about the press and the high line as well, there is an institutional confidence that doesn't exist with him because as much as people will say, oh, Ter Stegen made this mistake or that mistake with his feet, 
Again, watch all of other goalkeepers. Mark Heiner Terstegen is in the top 2% in world football in delivering balls with his feet. He's yeah. phenomenal on the ground, and his teammates trust him in a way that in Pena, he's fine with the ball at his feet. He's fine, but he does not support a high-line system because his teammates just cannot trust him in the same way they do Ter Stegen with his timing and the pace of the pass. So I, I think he's just not good enough with his feet to be Barcelona's goalkeeper. But again, we're also talking about the a position where every team in world football would love an elite shot stopper who can play with the ball up their feet as a goalkeeper, right? Like that's institutional to how every team now wants to play, basically. Exception of the teams will say, even Amaria, who is just like, hey, we just need somebody to stop, you know, 18 shots a game because we know we're going to be under fire, right? So, I mean, Inaki Pena might do, I, I do consider him a lot like Jordi Masip because Jordi Masip mm. created a long career at Real uh, Real lead. He's still there now uh, as one of their better players for the last few seasons as a shot stopper. He was a third keeper for Barcelona for a long time, got one or two appearances as a backup, but he's just a good shot stopper, fine with the ball to his feet, and I think that's what Inaki Pena is. There is nothing wrong with being a La Liga goalkeeper for or the a Segunda division, you know, pushing the, the boundaries to the top division, right? And a, a, a part of a quote-unquote yo-yo club in La Liga. There is no issue with, I mean, goalkeeper is one of those where there's not that many starting jobs in world football. And so if you have one of those, Hey, that, that's a good career you've had. And to be a backup at Barca, he's 24 now. So I don't think he is Barcelona's goalkeeper of the future. But yeah, if he's at an Alaves or, a, I mean, whoever it is, like Granada, somebody, and if he's their goalkeeper for six, seven, eight years, it was a good career he had. But yes, I don't even know who's out there. But goalkeeper is a weird thing too, where guys can kind of just become the number one that you didn't know. They're 25 years old. You hand them a number one shirt. Now all of a sudden... I mean, who was Allison before he became Liverpool's goalkeeper at the age of 26 or whatever he was? I mean, Ederson was kind of groomed from 21, 22 at, at uh, Man City. But yeah, you never know they're your number one. Yeah. They step into that role. Even Ter Stegen split, a time with, split time with Claudio Bravo and then became the number one. And I mean, it wasn't often that Barcelona really invested in a player like that. And as I've said about the appearances Ter Stegen has made, Zubi Zaretta and all the other ones throughout history for Barcelona, Ter Stegen is already fourth or third in goalkeeper appearances in, in the club's history. And I know they play more competitions now, but still, the point remains that Ter Stegen is one of the top five goalkeepers. Rami Yetz is on that list, of course, and Valdez. But now you're already talking about a short list of goalkeepers that Ter Stegen is already on that list too. Let's talk about Ter Araujo, rather. Ted asked, is Araujo losing focus or is he too busy reading his press clips? Well, okay, I don't think so. But do you think, uh, yeah, what do you think the issue with, with Araujo is? Yeah, I mean, Araujo is one of those defenders who, like, in, like, certain specific moments, I think he's the best in the world. But a defender is a lot more than just those one-on-ones, the duels, which he is so good at, like I said. But it's also about reading the game. I wonder whether his reading of the game is the best as a centre-back. I think someone like Christensen probably reads the game a bit better. Like, positionally, Araujo likes to step up a lot. That'll leave you gapping behind immediately. He's a very aggressive defender, which has worked a lot, but I think sometimes... He needs to like, look around. He needs to be. Like, you need to be very aware as a centre back. You really do always checking. And I wonder whether he does that enough. And I think the last few weeks, it's sort of like all of that has heightened and it's really shot, shown, which is maybe surprising because the way it's all sort of concentrated in these few moments, we're seeing a few mistakes from Adalho. But I, I don't know what it is. Like, surely, I mean, I, obviously the buy and links are quite strong. I don't think it's that. I think obviously as a collective, the team isn't playing well. And you, when you've got players at Adalho at one and Lewandowski at the other end who. Were so good and so reliable last season, and they're making errors. 
of course it's going to make us play poorly and and it's going to affect the result. Of course it is, but I, I back Araujo to be fine. You know, I don't think it's something that's going to be in like a long term issue. I back him to be completely fine. I just think as a defender, maybe he isn't the most focused and maybe never was. And it's just sort of showing a bit more in the last few weeks. That would be my analysis of it. Like he's always been one of those aggressive front foot defenders, and then sometimes you can be able to look a little bit silly. You can get caught out on the back and. I think that's just happened on a few occasions and it's made him look really bad. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I have, yeah, I've got two ideas. The first one is just a straight up excuse. I think this broken jaw is affecting the way he's yeah. communicating. He's a very vocal player along the back. And I do think that broken jaw is affecting. I mean, I even think about that in Pena, Araujo mistake. I think yeah. the communication that exists in that moment, I know he wouldn't be the one that would be talking, but let's say Araujo was trying to call off Inaki Pena from in front of him, which is a weird spot to be because obviously that's the goalkeeper's ball. But yeah. and said he couldn't hear him that with that side with his side ear or whatever it was that even with the pain in his jaw that he's not really tro- totally to that point focused with the jaw, especially with things in the air. He made a mistake last week as well on that header by was it the goal from Mora Antwerp that goes in that he loses the fifty fifty ball, which he just he doesn't lose those. And I, I do want to make an excuse for that. I do think that. Anything above the neck is just affecting him in, in all these ways and communicating along mm-hmm. the back. And it's hard to play a high line if you're not in constant communication. And especially when you're kind of got one eye on where Baldi is on the field and the other eye on wherever the heck Cancelo is at the moment, you know, on your right side. So I do think there's both things, right? It's structural at the moment. Like yeah. it was playing poorly. And I think that pressure to your point is, is mounting and whether it's the Byron links, whatever, how that's in the back of his head as well. So I think there is something mental about it, but I, I think a large majority of it is physical right now with that. Mm. And I think he'll be just fine. Give him, I think by the end of, we'll say by the middle end of January, I'd give him another like two weeks after the break. And I think he'll be back to uh, looking as consistent as he is. All right. So two more questions here. Tomas asks another, it seems we lost Romeo. Would you like to try a decent number six? If so, who would be a perfect fit? If not, would you try to give a run for one of the youngsters in Casado? Bernal or Prem. I will add here that Bernal not even being called up to the Club America. I am he's about a year away, which is just fine. You need a starter for Barça Athletic and the club I think is waiting on him. He is still the 16. I want to remind people of that too. So, don't worry about Bernal. I would be excited to see him in the first team in 2 or 3 years. He is a, a wonderful profile to be a pivot in the future, so don't expect Bernal this year. But Laporta did say that a midfielder would likely be, not likely, but they'd be excited to try to pull something in January. So I think the club does mm. have someone in mind or Laporta wouldn't have said that, or he's just trying to gas people up about the transfer market. But, you know, I, I'm not crazy about what it would take to get any of the options, though, when it comes to the FFP. I just don't see who Barcelona could pull because I want to remind people, too, that Edgar Davids was a really good player and Barca grabbed him on loan at the perfect time for, for him and the club. It was just a perfect coalesce of the other team was too full with their depth chart Juventus and he needed a way out and he had had some injuries that season if I remember right and so he had to you know he just needed a way out and Barcelona was the perfect club for him to settle into and they had a need for him but 
I think with world football and the wages the way are the way they are now and player evaluations, I just don't see how they find a player for the right price at the moment, remembering they would likely have to take on his wages. And that was not a case back then where you could you could you could pretty much bring in everybody that wasn't at the time Beckham or Zidane or Figo or Raul and you couldn't you know and you could basically fit anybody on your on your wage bill in those seasons. And just to have a little bit of fun. If I were to name a player, the only player I'd seen linked that was interesting to me was Andre from Fluminense. And maybe it's just me keeping up with the purest videos and getting excited about a player like that. But he seems intriguing coming off a, again, a Brazilian season. It's not currently in season. Mm. So I think there is something interesting about bringing in a six-month loan for a Brazilian that you know that, hey, if it works out, great. Then we buy him instead of Jao Felix for $30 million. And if it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like It's one of those where we, we bring him on loan because he's out of season. And if he solves the problem in the future, great. If he doesn't, he just goes back to Brazil and signs to the Premier League or whatever for a big money. So if Deco does have the connections and also coming from, uh, from the Brazilian League, his wages are going to be a little more reasonable on a six-month European contract than any of these other European examples like Anana from Everton. So that's, yeah. that would say if you, if you start to throw names out at me. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think Anana could be an interesting little show. Um... Sort of like, uh, not the best example, I know he didn't come directly from the Brazilian league, but Paulinho, like the way he came in, I think he mixed something up. He gave us a bit of something different in midfield. So that sort of profile, you know, could come in. And obviously we're talking about someone a little bit deeper in the midfield, but still the player I look at, and I know it's one Chavi's been looking at, and I know it's quite cliche and I don't know if it will happen. I think Zubimendi would be great. I really do. When I watched Lareal play, I think he's a quality player. Um, and I, I sort of watched us this season. I think if we had Zubimendi at the base of the midfield, everything could be a little bit different. Um, he's the sort of one that I'm looking at thinking like, yeah, that's who I'd want in the DM position. It really is. And that wasn't the case in the summer. I just thought, because obviously he wasn't that keen on moving to Barca. So I thought, you know what, just go on then. I don't, I don't care then. Like, if you don't want to come then, then we don't want you either, you know? But yeah, he's one, he's one of those that I look at. And I think, yeah, they play some quality football, don't they? And he really would be superb. That would be a great bet from Xavi. That would be where I put a lot of the money this summer, by the way. I think into a quality midfielder, getting Cancelo back, uh, obviously on a permanent... And I think we need a winger for sure as well. And then hopefully Vitor Roque is good enough at number nine and then we should be okay. But I think that's key to get, you know, a good pivot in. I think it's absolutely imperative. And that's where I'd put any money we do potentially have into. Uh, players like Casador, I think obviously there was rumours he could have maybe got some minutes like yesterday. It didn't work out in the end. And obviously Roberto's gone on and sort of won the game for us. So it's worked out. But I'd be interested to see him come in in the next few weeks, to be honest. In the next month or so, I'd be interested. We've got Copa, of course, coming up. I think we're playing Barabastro, is it, on the 7th of... January, I think so. So maybe that sort of game would be one for Castello to come into. The others I know less about around the squad list. And obviously, like you mentioned, a bit younger, give them a few more years. But I think Castello, someone knocking on the door a little bit for that role. But for me, one, I'd love to, I'd love to get Romeo's level back to at least something, honestly, just like a, someone to protect the back line, to win balls, to start attacks. Because I feel midfield balance down this season has been all off. I feel we're so messy in midfield with players everywhere. Like Gundogan's either like picking the ball up from Iñaki Pena or he's the second striker. Like it's really, really like messy. So yeah. Yeah, losing Romeo the way you did this season was one of the I, I'd say I think in hindsight is one of the worst things that happened. I know he came on cheap. I know that I think I don't know. I, I'm of two minds where I feel like I expected too much of him. And it's unfortunate because even if I expected too much of him, he's even underdelivered what we'll say the average expectation was going yeah. for him. Because I figured, like, yeah, in a perfect world, Gabi, Pedri, and Deion were going to start. 
But then Gundogan was going to start as the fourth for, uh, midfield. Yeah. I thought they'd play four midfielders. But then yeah. when Alphelos came in, it felt like, okay, now you've got options. Now you have, they'll say, 12 starters for 11 positions, which is a good place to be. If you had mm-hmm. Aaron, Alphelos will say one of those is a starter, even though Alphelos starts. But yeah, so that was going to be the option. Then Gabi goes down. And now you mentioned losing Romeo the way you did, that midfield seems awful, awful bare, even with Fermin Lopez, who you know, is, is having trouble... It's having trouble putting his imprint on the game in terms of where he is on the field. He hasn't had much of a partnership with Lewandowski, which is kind of the issue for me. If you're going to play that high interior, like the yeah. part between Pedri and Lewandowski is essential to getting the, the best out of Pedri and vice versa with, with Fermi Lopez. If you're not getting a connection with Lewandowski as your high interior, even the runs off of him, it seems like you're, it, it's not even Fermi Lopez passing to Lewandowski. It's Lewandowski actually finding Fermi Lopez in behind as well. But basically the pass that he delivered to Sergio Roberto for the goal, because once Roberto then moved into the space that Fermi Lopez was occupying, once Oro Romeo came on, I know people said, hey, you're going for goals and here comes Oro Romeo. But the, he did add a little bit of balance in that Sergio Roberto was able to actually be protected and push farther up forward and do the yeah. job Fermi Lopez couldn't do off of Lewandowski with those runs. So it, it is this weird thing with like, yeah, at the end of the day, as much as you criticize Roberto, there's experience in his understanding of what needs to be done in a game like that, that Fermi Lopez is still learning. So yeah. I, I still would like to be patient with Fermi Lopez, but I don't want to get, I don't want to have him be forgotten as well as we talk about all these young players, because he is still very much a young player. And to the last question here, Rose asks, who would you like to see be given more opportunities from the young guns? And I mentioned, I want to be patient with everybody and Lamini Mall and Fermi Lopez, even what we've seen of Mark Yu and Hector Fort, that's generally enough already this season. You spoke about Casado, and I'm hoping to see him as well. Either by the time you're hearing this and this is out, they're likely already playing against Club America, which is insane, by the way, that it's less than 24 hours and the plane ride. Uh, but we you know the story there. But yeah, I hope to see Casado tonight and then hope to see him in the Copa del Rey. But outside of that, as I said, Prem and Bernal and all the other guys that I'm mentioning and going to have on uh, the videos that I'm starting to come out with next, next week about the La Masia players, that just be patient with the academy there's already more than enough young players in the squad and i know you feel like what you don't know is going to solve your problems but i mean it's just like when you have a relationship and you start to think that what's outside of your relationship you know is going to solve all your problems it's not always the grass is not always greener especially with young players and you can you always risk losing them as well so i do would like to see kubarsi at some point this season but i would also Mm. to see kubarsi in a, a conference at barcelona that isn't trying to play a high line that has no understanding of chaos, right? Imagine if Kuparski had started instead of Christensen yesterday at the yeah. left back and Barcelona conceded three goals against Almeria or those two goals against Almeria and and so much of that blame is put on Kuparski, yeah, right? And you just, you lose a young player. So I would say pump the brakes. I would love to say what opportunities, but yeah, just let me know all. I'd like to see more from him. I know he's just still, still 16, but we know what he does well. And I do as much as everyone else is struggling to finish, I want to see a little bit more finishing product from the mini mall. The talent has gone nowhere. He still was talented and this is not a lost year for him. So yeah, I'm excited. Not even that I want to see more from him, but you know, I'd like, I just like to see more from the mini mall. And I think, you know, yeah. in time. Yeah, no, I can, I completely agree on Lamine, by the way, I, I'm glad you brought it up. Cause I think he does get a bit of a free pass and that's fair enough. He's 16 years old. You know, we can't be asking too much, but, and this is why maybe you made the point about not rushing certain La Masia players because when Lamine came in in preseason, it was like, oh my God, like we've reincarnated Messi here, like him against Tottenham, you know, and it was like, 
wow, like he's this guy in La Liga this season. You know, we, we, we're going to win everything with him. He, no one can stop him. And it's like, actually, after the Villarreal game away, the sort of like the 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 hype effect has sort of like worn off a bit, right? Lamine isn't like beating everyone anymore and he's not coming close to scoring goals like he was against Villarreal where he hit like the bar and then the post and he was assisting everyone. He's not been that player since. And that can happen. He's 16 and he's, he's just dropped off a bit. And you're right, like, I actually feel, often this is a bit harsh, but I feel like when Rafinha comes off for Lamine, like it happened last night, like happened against Atleti, I feel we drop off completely. I just feel like the 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 impact we have from the right-hand side just sort of deteriorates. And that's fine for a 16-year-old, but that comes back to the point about we can't almost like, force the youngsters into the first team because they're not going to really be able to produce 8 out of 10s at every game. And at Barcelona, unfortunately, that sort of is a requirement, isn't it? You know, it, it's such a tough environment. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see that more of, of Gui. I think actually like, almost now his time maybe has gone with Roque coming in. But I think in the last few weeks, like with the way he scored against Athletic Club and then he nearly scored against Shakhtar even, then he did score against Antwerp. It was like, surely with Lewandowski's struggles, we could have brought Gui on in a few more games, you know? But hey, that's the way it, it, it worked for him. And other than that, I think I think we're doing all right, to be fair. Um, I don't think there's anyone I necessarily like push. I'm glad Fermin got minutes because I think he is a very good player, actually, and sort of is a profile we lack in midfield. So I'm, I'm a big fan of Fermin. But other than that, I'm comfortable. Yeah, I, I think Xavi's done a wonderful job incorporating them into training, incorporating them into the, the, the team. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in a good spot <laughs> with the young players. And as I've said before, the last two seasons, this group is really, really talented from 16, 17 years old, that, that and, and even some of the one or two, the 15 year olds coming up. This is just a really, really talented group. And, and the club's aware of that. And I, I think, again, it, there's some vindication for those who do, again, shouts to Arsev and, and Piotr and some of the other ones that, that, that watch the, the, the academy games, game in and game out, and that I really yeah. do and try to see for myself. And so, you know, when they mention a player, that's then a player that I'll key on as well. And I, I, I think that the club, unlike even the Colosalenia years, I think the club is keying in on the right youngsters, if that makes sense. The ones that yeah. we know are the best youngsters are the ones that the club and Xavi are like, hey, that's a kid I want in first team training. That's a kid that's already with Barca Athletic. And so it seems like everybody between Xavi and Rafa Marquez and then, you know, us at home, right? The armchair and uh, analysts, like it seems like everybody's on the same page about which kids have the highest potential. And that kind of just reinforced the idea that, yeah, these are the kids. You just have to give them some time to kind of make it all work. And to your point, time in Barcelona never works. It just it doesn't work together until the, the times and it does, right? In the Gabis and the Pedris and... Yeah. Even the ball days, time, time, ball yeah. days, time. Like I, yeah. to your point, right? It's this weird thing with us where it's like we criticize the older players so much, but there's so many young players who, to your point, almost get a free pass between Lamine, Lamal, and Yamal, uh, and and Balde. And I do the same thing with Pedri. Like even at his age, even at 20, I feel like Pedri. I, I do give him a pass sometimes yeah. when he has a bad game because to me he still just gives you so much for a 20 year old. And I think to your point, we give him a free pass, but I also think age does give you a shield like Lamini ball does deserve a free pass that yeah. he doesn't get because the, yeah. the price tag the age all of yeah. that right the expectations of what Rafinha is going to give you should be much higher than what Lamini ball gives you the fact that there was an argument that Lamini ball could have started early in the season on form for Rafinha is not a compliment to Rafinha more than mm-hmm. it is a compliment to Lamini ball and that's and that's again that's the name of the game that's professional football for you so yeah. I feel like the pass that we give these young players is totally merited because they're 16 and 17 and even 20 years old. And that's still so young in, in, in the modern game that this generation that Barcelona is pushing through is way younger 
than even Casalanyal was 21 when he finally broke yeah. the team. So just hold your horses on that. But anyway, that I think does us Pablo for this one. We've answered more than enough listener questions. And I, I think this will satiate people at least until the new year. Again, there's going to be content still coming out over the next few days. I likely won't be doing anything for about Club America, but I don't know who knows. It's probably going on as you're listening to this right now. And maybe I'll bother you tomorrow, but until then, Pablo, what can people check out of what you're working on and what you have cooking for the new year? Yeah, so at the moment, I mean, on Twitter, come and find me, Pablo W. Blanco, um, all in one word. And on there is a good place to find all the stuff I'm doing. Obviously, I'm still going to be on BBC Radio Cornwall with Miles in England, but probably what you guys are more interested in, Barca Bars, I've now joined them sort of doing like little three to five minute reviews after, after games, which is just a nice thing to keep me ticking over. And then obviously, I'm also with John and Bulgar on Mescom podcast, which is a... Just a little thing we decided to start up as mates really after we did the a European football one. So, yeah, come and find me on there. Twitter's a good place to find all of that, to be fair, because I'll post it when it goes out. But, yeah, again, Dan, thanks for having me on. Real pleasure. Yeah, as long as Twitter exists, you can find him there. Also down in the show notes and description below. And then we are on Twitter and Instagram. No longer on TikTok, unfortunately. That is a story for uh, maybe only the Patreons only, but no longer on TikTok. Patreon. Close to group is where I got these questions from, as well as the Discord. Also have listener questions there on Discord, a little section there uh, to join that there. And then, as I mentioned, good rating and subscribing to the YouTube channel, the best way to help me out, as well as the best way to help me out really is to join the merch store. And by join, I mean get in there and, and, and get one of our goodies with the logo on it. So most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast in 2023. Until next time and the new year, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, Barcelona.